Thank you, Maggie. Wonderful pronunciations on the names. I, I still just want to, I just want to call him Salmon. Um, but Salmon sounds so much posher. Did you check it? Oh, is it like, that was right. Ah, there you go, Salmon. Um, Father, we thank you for this written word, this ancient story, and we pray that it might draw us to you and might encourage us in our own faith in Jesus. And we ask that in his name. Amen. <laughs> um, I love my job um, most of the time, not, not always. Uh, but, but one of the things I like about my job is I do get to uh, meet some kind of unusual people and find myself in, in interesting situations. But um, just one was this last week. I was asked to take communion to a chap in um, a nursing home. I, I don't really know him that well. I've, I've met him a couple of times. So I popped in with my little communion box uh, that has all kinds of stuff in it. And I said to him, what is your favorite passage of scripture? And I said, I'll read that to you. And he said, uh, Jerusalem. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, I said um, so which bit of the Bible do you like about that speaks about Jerusalem. And he goes, no, Jerusalem. And I said, well, which bit of the Bible? He goes, no, Jerusalem, chariots of fire, he said. And he was talking about the hymn, Jerusalem. And, and I, I just thought I must be reading a very different Bible that he reads, because I've, <laughs> I've never found it. Um, but he was talking about this hymn, and um, uh, originally, for those of you who know, a little bit of useless information about the hymn, it was a poem by William Blake, who was uh, one of those romantics, and, um, and I, I, found, I found the hymn on my phone uh, on Spotify, and this chap was quite deaf. So I turned it up as loud as I can. We're in this nursing home in his room, and the door's open, and there's people either side, obviously. And uh, it was obvious that he wasn't going to sing, so it was really down to me singing a very, very loud solo uh, of Jerusalem. And did those feet in ancient times... Um, goodness knows what anyone else wondered was going on, these unusual experiences. Anyway, it got me thinking about the hymn Jerusalem, because I've not sung it for some time. Uh, it's actually seen as the unofficial, unofficial national anthem for England. And, um, and it's also, I was told this morning, quite rightly, by Jenny Richmond, that every week the Women's Institute sing Jerusalem. Did, is anyone here in the Women's Institute? So you wouldn't know if I was telling the truth or not, would you? But um, apparently that, that's where the jam and Jerusalem thing came from. And uh, it is, it's actually banned by some clergy. They really don't like it because they see it as very dodgy. And it's based on a, an apocryphal story, apparently, about a young Jesus in his unknown years, so presumably after his parents let, lost him at the temple and before he calls his disciples, that he actually came to England with Joseph of Arimathea, and they went to Glastonbury. <laughs> not, not the festival, but the place. Um, and so the whole thing is, is all seen as a bit dodgy. I mean, I, I kind of like it, even though it is quite dodgy. We're not going to be singing it any time yet. Uh, but it's kind of very nostalgic, isn't it? It reminds me of that Chariots of Fire film, and they're all running along the beach with their hair flowing. And Do you remember that bit? No. I, <laughs> some of you need to watch more telly. Okay. 
But, but actually, it, the, the hymn itself and the poem is set against this backdrop of it. It talks about clouded hills and dark satanic mills. And as you kind of work your way through it, I mean, there are some sentiments in it that are a bit weird. Chariots of Fire actually comes, I think, from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but, but basically, the, the hymn, the poem, is all about restoration and hope. And Jerusalem um, is actually a metaphor for heaven. And so in, in that hymn, if you look at it, it speaks about heaven being built on earth, about heaven coming to earth. And so actually, I do think it has some truth in it. You think about the Lord's Prayer, uh, but you also look at Revelation on a couple of occasions. It speaks about heaven coming to earth. And so within that unusual hymn, it's about a new heaven and a new earth coming to a place of despair and destruction and death. Uh, and I think that those themes of hope and restoration, which you find in that hymn, um, are pretty much the themes of Ruth that we're looking at today. And that's my poor segue into what we find in Ruth chapter 4. Um, if you look through the whole of Scripture, actually, restoration and hope are key themes. But you see them in particular, I think, in this biblical story that reveals to us something of the character and the nature of God. If you remember back to chapter 1 that we looked at a few weeks ago, it's all about the kind of the chaos and the darkness that over, overcame Naomi and, uh, and her daughters-in-law. And uh, the whole thing begins with kind of famine and exile and death and bitterness. And, and in some ways you find kind of a, an echo of what you find in Genesis 1, that um, there was this chaos, these dark waters but it was over those dark waters in Genesis 1 that the Holy Spirit hovered. And, and out of nothing, ex nihilo, creation came about. And in some ways, this kind of has an echo in Ruth. That what you find, if you, if you look carefully, even though God isn't mentioned that much in terms of his direct action, what you find is, 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 is almost as if um, God is hovering over Naomi and Ruth, and, and taking them from a place of bitterness to a better place uh, back in Bethlehem, we find the providential hand of a faithful God at work in Ruth and Naomi's life. And so you find that in chapter one, it's a rather dismal chapter, but then you come to chapter two and chapter three, and, and Ruth, who has committed herself to Naomi, you know, where you go, I will go, your God will be my God. Basically, Ruth and Naomi have nothing. They come back to Bethlehem uh, because the famine has kind of finished, but they really have nothing because they've lost their family. Uh, but then Ruth then carries out this old practice of gleaning, whereby she's allowed to pick up some of the barley on the edge of the fields of those who are harvesting. And, and even there, we see that providential hand of God at work in that instance as well. It says in chapter 2, verse 3, and it just so happened. It just so turned out. And it just so happens that out of all of the fields all around Bethlehem, the field that Ruth goes to is a field of Boaz, this potential guardian redeemer, um, who, who is the one who, if anyone is going to do it, is going to get Naomi and Ruth out of their poverty, and, and in the case of Naomi, out of that place of bitterness. And so Ruth has this encounter 
with Boaz. And last week, uh, as we looked at chapter 3, we find this um, engagement proposal and we find romances in the air and the question we asked was, does Ruth get her man? And we find out whether she does or not in chapter 4. And so in chapter 4, what's happened is, is that Naomi and Ruth have identified Boaz as their guardian redeemer. He's going to be the one who's not next of kin to inherit what happened because uh, Naomi's husband Elimelech dies, but he is going to be the one who, in the event of someone's death, the death of Naomi's husband, basically he would use his resources to take action to help them out of their place of poverty and need. And so they're very effectively a guardian in the real sense of the word. And a guardian redeemer is the one who's going to restore that which has been lost to Naomi and Ruth. And so Boaz, at the beginning of chapter 4, he goes to the gates of the town where uh, the elderly or the elders of the town, the senior members of the town, sit down to sort out some legal matters. At that time, uh, there wasn't a professional lawyer class that you'd go along to like an advocate and pay lots of money uh, to get the legal sorted out for whatever situation you were facing. In this kind of situation, you'd go to the gates of the town and the elders would sort out your legal problems for free. Sounds quite good, doesn't it, really? Unless you're an advocate. Um, but then it says there that when Boaz gets there, strangely enough, it just so happened that the unnamed guardian redeemer who has kind of first dibs as it were it's a very patriarchal unusual society uh, in so many ways but it's the context that we're working in where that the first guardian redeemer who's closer to Elimelech by blood than than Boaz is he just so happens to be there as well and so in front of the elders who are there to sort out legal issues uh, Boaz then starts to talk about the land that should be redeemed, uh, that belonged to Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. And uh, basically says to this guardian redeemer who has come along, actually, when it comes to that land, you are the one to buy it back. It's very likely, even though Naomi's got land, that it's got a loan on it. And it, it could well be, actually reading between the lines, that the land is worth less than what was paid for it in the first place. And so it may well be that Naomi finds herself in a place of negative equity. But what happens is, is that in order for Naomi to go from a place of poverty to provision, is that someone needs to pay off that debt on that field. And so that guardian redeemer, uh, again, is unnamed, says he will do it. He says in verse 4, I will redeem it. But then Boaz complicates matters more because he then says to this guardian redeemer, well, it's not just about the field, but it's also about Ruth, this Moabite. What you would need to do is marry her and if you get her pregnant and she has a son, then that son, who is Elimelech's grandson, then has rights for the field that you have just paid the money on. Does that all make sense so far? And so this guardian redeemer steps back and says, no thanks. No thanks. I'm not going to do that. It's a step too far for him. And so what we find is that Boaz can then step in and act as the guardian redeemer. And in this whole process, what happens is, is that the unnamed guardian redeemer has to give his shoe to Boaz. 
to indicate that a legal transaction has taken place. Isn't it odd? And I find it kind of odd because if he gives that shoe away, then he no longer has a pair of shoes, does he? And, and so, so that, that pair of shoes, but actually if Boaz gets a shoe, he doesn't have a pair of shoes either. I tried it in creases yesterday, and they wouldn't have it. I think what we find with Boaz, and I know that there's love in the air, but actually he's, he's well off, he's got resources. And resources um, often indicate success. It happens in churches as well. The more resources we've got, we think we're more successful. It doesn't mean that God is present, though. Um, but, but basically, he has these resources, and he uses them for the benefit of others. And I think we need to ask ourselves that question as well. If we have resources, how do we use them? Do we kind of ring fence them for ourselves? Or do we use those resources for the benefit of others? So Boaz redeems Elimelech's land. He buys it back. He pays off the debt. And he does that for Naomi. And he does that for Ruth. And he does it for the generations which are to come. And then there's this marriage between Ruth and Boaz. And, and the strange thing is, that there isn't a big custom around, in terms of a legality around marriage. I think it was all fairly straightforward. You didn't have to go to the ecclesiastical court or whatever it might have been, but it's all fairly straightforward. And, and what happens is, is that the elders at the gate, they then pray that Ruth would be blessed and that her generations would be blessed as part of the people of God, of Israel. But what we have to remember here, though, is that Ruth is a Moabite. She's, she's a foreigner. She's beyond the pale. She's an outsider. And, and yet the elders pray that God would use her and her descendants to be a blessing. And, and Ruth, in many ways, is the most unlikely of suspects to be used by God. And actually, if you go back a bit further, you go back to Boaz and his mum. Boaz's mum. Anyone know who Boaz's mum was? Mrs. Boaz? <laughs> Boaz's mum was Rahab. You might remember that story, apparently. And Rahab, again, was a foreigner, possibly a prostitute, and, and helped the people of God to take over Jericho. Read the story um, in the Old Testament. But she's an outsider. And, and what you find in um, this lineage of God's people being blessed is the most unlikely of suspects being used by God. And, and to me that says that God can even use me in his plans and his purposes. And, and you might think that you're an outsider, uh, that you don't have much to offer, um, that you're no good, whatever it might be. But I think I want to say to you, based on this story, is that God uses the most unlikely of suspects to bring about his purposes and his plans. Ruth's offspring leads to David of Bethlehem, the most significant king of Israel. Ruth's offspring leads to Jesus of Bethlehem, the most significant of, king, of kings in the whole world. 
And Jesus is the one, through his life and his death and his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is the one who is restoring and who will restore the whole cosmos and bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And Ruth is part of that story. This story of Ruth, which is about hope and restoration, points to that greater story of the whole world. Anyway, um, just before this story ends with that genealogy in the family tree, uh, Ruth gives birth to a son. He's called Obed, which means servant and worshipper. And Naomi then takes this child in her arms. Uh, Even though she's the grandmother, what you find is is that the women of Bethlehem, the last time they spoke is in chapter 1, verse 9, where they say, could this be Naomi? What a mess. They then turn around and say, Naomi has a son. And so what we find is at the beginning of this story, Naomi's life is ravaged by a quadruple family tragedy. There's exile, the death of her husband, and the death of both of her sons. She becomes bitter and is in despair. She is broken. Who wouldn't be? And the rest of this story is about how her life gets rebuilt and restored through the commitment and faithfulness of Ruth, through the generosity of Boaz, and through what we spoke about last week, the chesed, the loyal love of God our Father. That sense that even though Naomi was in a bad place and the sense that there wasn't a great connection between her and the God of Israel, God was still at work. And this story of Ruth, which is really the story, I would say, of Naomi, points to restoration. And I think it points to the restorer who comes to restore our lives as well, to buy us back. Like Boaz bought back that field, so Jesus buys us back from the clutch of sin and death. Tom Wright said this, death is a great enemy, but it has been conquered and will be conquered at the last. God's intention is not to let death have its way with us because Christ has redeemed us he buys us back from the clutch of sin and death and the story of Ruth I think is a story of us all it's a story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's what the gospel is all about, the gospel is all about a broken world and a broken and sinful people being forgiven and restored and being made whole because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. Tom Wright puts it like this in thinking about Jesus coming again as well. Jesus' followers were unequivocal. Jesus will return. He will come again. He will reappear in power and glory, triumphing over all the forces of death decay and destruction including the structures that have used those horrible forces to enslave and devastate human lives and we see that going on all around us at the moment the present mode of this story is not the end pundits debate the origin of the phrase it ain't over till the fat lady sings but in the Christian story 
it ain't over until the master returns. And, and I know that many of us experience brokenness like Naomi in our own lives and for a whole bunch of different reasons. The death of a loved one, a, a marriage that hasn't worked out, you know, the, the death of a dream, struggling with mental illness, with physical illness, just simply maybe encountering the stuff of life. Uh, we said at the beginning of this that bad stuff happens to good people, and I know that there are lots of good people in this church to whom bad stuff has happened, and I don't have the answers to that. Many of us, myself included, experience brokenness and pain. But like Naomi, who was broken, I do believe that we too, like her, can be restored by the touch of God's hand. I do believe that over time, that his hesed, his, his loyal love, will actually restore and make whole that which is broken and in pieces. The message of Ruth, I think, is the message of the gospel, that God restores broken people and broken lives. And um, in closing, I said earlier that most of the time I love my job. Well, it's not just because I find myself in unusual situations singing Jerusalem at the top of my voice in a nursing home. Uh, but I'm... <coughs> I love my job because I'm part of a church where healing takes place. I'm, I'm part of a church where vicious cycles get broken. I'm part of a church where the hopeless are reborn in vision. I, we, we, we are part of a church and I know this because over the years I've experienced it myself and over the years I've heard the testimony of others. We're part of a church where despair and brokenness and even death gives way to hope and healing and new life. It, it doesn't always come quickly. It doesn't always come maybe in the way that we would hope for. But I do believe that if we hold on to Jesus, the one who is the ultimate guardian redeemer, the one who takes that which is broken and makes it whole, I do believe it will come. And in thinking about this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and divine providence, I want us to think about our story. And, and my prayer for myself and my prayer for us as a church is that we also 
would continue to know God's grace, God's hesed, God's healing touch in this place. And that this place would be a place of healing where vicious cycles are broken and the hopeless are reborn in vision. Amen. Shall we stand? So we just take a moment to be still, and and it may well be that you're in this place this morning, and everything on the outside looks just fine, but just on the inside, you're just a mess. Um, The thing about Middle Eastern situations often is, is that they didn't necessarily hide what was going on on the inside, which is why when Naomi came back from Moab, people knew that she changed because it, it could, they could see it in her face. In the Western world, we paper over the cracks. In the Western world, we're more likely to put on a mask. So everyone thinks we're okay, but actually we're not. And, and actually, if, that, if that's you and you're here this morning and you're in a place of brokenness and despair for whatever reason, and it, and it may have gone on for years and years, and you might think, is there ever an end to it? I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Father, we pray for those who are in a broken place, <clears throat> who might say, like Naomi, don't, don't call me Naomi call me Mara because my life is bitter and it's hard Father we pray that they would know your divine providence we pray that in this place it would be a place of healing and restoration we pray that when they struggle to hold on that we would stand alongside and hold on with them, like Ruth did with Naomi. What a beautiful picture. And we pray that as a church, that this would be a place where people find healing and wholeness. Life may not go back to what it was, but life has moved from winter to spring. And Father, we, we recognize that Trinity is not the star of this show but Jesus is and we pray that this will be a place where we allow him to come as a guardian redeemer to buy us back from sin and death and to bring healing and wholeness to our pain and our despair We just keep a moment of quiet. So, Father, be at work today as the days go on. Made a story of Ruth, made a story of the gospel be our story too. 
And we ask that in Jesus' name.